It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! <laughs> this week, starring special guest star, Mr. Ronan Chris Murphy! Yeah, baby! <laughs> and thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Woo! Welcome. Awesome. I love. Great to be back here. <laughs> it's always good to have you. I told him... Uh, I was going to call him Conan for the entire episode, Conan Chris Murphy, but no, it's Ronan with an R. Yeah, let's uh, get the camera crew to move that over a pinch. There we go. Now we're both in the shot. And let's say hello to our lovely studio audience. There they are. Hi, folks. Uh, Vicki Flaweth, Wendy Landers, Daryl Fletcher, Carl Wurzbach, uh, Bob Gunnerfeld, Sherry Marcus, John Pearson, Jay Gloria Williams. Covington, Rob Grace, Ann House. Gloria. How Jay Williams. Missed you at the road rally, Gloria. Uh, Dean Turner. I'm not taking off any points. It's not going on your permanent record or anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, normally Gloria kind of sits right behind me at the road rally, and I missed her this year. Um, anyway, uh, Mojo Bone. Hello, Eric B. So, hello, all you guys. This week, we're going to do what hit producers are doing that you're probably not. And, you know, we get this question um, <laughs> Oh, by the way, Ron, Ronan, you know, I didn't even put your bio on here. Damn. Uh, <laughs> Ronan is an engineer producer that's been doing this for 30 yeah, years, something like that. Thing, yeah. um, who are some of the acts that you've worked with? Um, uh, you know, King Crimson. Anybody famous? Uh, <laughs> uh, Guar, Steve Morse, Terry Bozio, kind of in other countries, Pete Teo, which is kind of a big deal, and Alexia in Greece. Oh, thank and, you for uh, bringing me the olives, by the way. Oh, excellent. <laughs> he brought me back olives from Italy. Um, but yeah, I've been really lucky. Um, kind of had luck, been able to work with a lot of great people in all sorts of genres from, you know, metal to pop to chamber music to jazz wow. and uh, fun uh, way to make a living that's cool because most engineers do a thing you know and yeah. they kind of lock into you know i'm a metal guy or i'm a hip-hop guy and they don't get to ever do like you know orchestral stuff yeah um, and and that's and that's yeah. like a cool thing if you know you can sort of make more money <laughs> yeah. in a way being the guy or the gal that does this um unless of course all of a sudden what you do becomes not cool Right. Like when grunge hit, there was a lot of like really successful producers doing, you know, kind of the hair metal stuff who were yeah. on top of the world. And they were practically on un unemployment lines like within a year. <laughs> and, uh, and but the big thing for me is, you know, I do have friends who are the guy or the gal that kind of does this. But, you know, when I'm hanging out, they don't seem to love going to work as much oh, as I really? do. I th and for me, I kind of go stir crazy because yeah. if I'm doing, you know, for me, I got really well known. I got to work with a lot of the kind of most biggest prog rock names in the world. Right. And which is great. But all of a sudden, that's the only calls I was getting. And I'm like, eh, this doesn't work. Neil Young is the reason I'm a musician. Yeah. And so, you really? know, like, like I have to go do some singer songwriter stuff and I do a ton of that. I'm like, I have to go do some jazz. And and I'm lucky, too. I get to occasionally work on some of the big budget uh, video game stuff. So. Worked like Mafia Three, one of the Assassin's yeah. Creed games. I just did a game called Yoku's Island Express last year, things like that. So I'm very intentionally even Yo some Yoko Ono's doing video yeah, games. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a game that would be fun. Yes. Oh man, I, yeah. it would be inappropriate for yeah. me to say what I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> but if I, if I do too much of one thing for a while, yeah, um, I, you know the passion starts to dip a little bit, and that's really unfair to artists because. Right. You know, you should be working with somebody who's just stoked to be working on your record. Yeah. And so, all even if I, 
you know, gets to a situation where two people want me working on a project at the same time and, you know, one's got more money than the other. If I've been doing too much of that thing, I'll, I'll take the lower budget thing just to keep things new and exciting. And yeah. and to me, I think it's really important, too, because, you know, <clears throat> if you've been working like on pop rec, you know, pop tracks and bunch for a while and then you do a metal record, you're going to be thinking about really important things about developing hooks and you know, things like that. And, which, and you might bring other really, influences into the yeah. pop record that they normally wouldn't do because yeah. they're largely imitating other pop records. Yeah. Certainly those are their influences, which gets us back to today's topic, which is what producers are doing that you're probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm guessing that much of this is going to be pop related. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but you know mm-hmm. that's what dominates the charts, certainly. Yeah. And, and a lot of urban pop also dominates the charts. Um, is it like a top 10 list that you want to go down? Well, well, there's a there's a few different things. And I started, came up with this idea a couple of years ago. And I've been yeah. lucky enough to do your Taxi Road Rally yeah, for at great. least a decade or something now. I get to now. see you at least twice a year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but really I wanted to, my whole idea of kind of creating it was to be able to kind of look at what's happening on the top of the charts. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of funny because a lot of times, you know, the night before I do it, I'm like staying up late to find out exactly what is top of the charts like when I show up to start talking at the road rally. Right. So doing that. And um, I like being able to look at that. But one of the things when I do this thing at the rally, you know, it's, it's always good to say, hey, look, here's the new trend. Check that out. But for me, what I hope more people take away from it is not, hey, look what they're doing with hi-hats this mm-hmm. year. I'm much more interested in people kind of taking away, hey, this is how you look at productions you know, like a scientist and be able to pull them apart and look at it because a lot of people listen to music and go, oh, that's a great song. And the and truth is the great songs fool us and trick us, you know, in a way that, you know, they make us feel something that may not be accurate. You know, like Black Sabbath is a great thing. You think Black Sabbath music and is, oh, it's like giant. That's going to have giant guitar sounds and, you know, those huge drums and in reality, you know, it's like, you know, those are tiny, yeah. like, cardboard drums and things like that. But, one, just brilliant performances, but also in terms of where all of the instruments sort of have their space. Right, you put it all together. They give and you that sense of bigness life. and loudness. So, yeah. uh, a lot of that. But one of the things I try and get across from people uh, when, I, when I do it at the rally is two things. One is to show how really within their reach a lot of very successful production techniques are mm-hmm. um, but also to get people to think and really look at it like a scientist because people go oh yeah the vibe is that and just make assumptions about what that is but without really going to go oh this is what's going on with hi-hats right now how do they make those observations without um, becoming too influenced and imitative well well, there's twofold things. A lot of times, especially with a lot of your folks, yeah. being imitative is there's a paycheck attached to that in right. terms of, oh, yeah, we're looking for something to replace right. for this track. T- that, he's talking about film yeah. and TV you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah we, we couldn't afford this M&M track or we couldn't afford this Bob Dylan track. Or we couldn't afford a pack of M&Ms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's that kind of thing where people like go, oh, yeah, Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah, Bob Dylan has this vibe. It's like, well, actually, if they're you know, the music supervisor or, you know, usually a director or producer has been living with this Bob Dylan track and the way it fits into the music when, you know, she finally comes back to him and walks into the room and that feeling. There's that space around the drums. There's that, you know, that the pianos may be a little wonky and out of tune, that the vocals like way out in front are totally buried. So 
I think a mistake a lot of people make is not just going, oh, Dylan feels like this. Well, Dylan feels like all sorts of stuff <laughs> over the last 50 years. Are people able, let's, I hate to say let's take an average person, but I'm taking, you know, like the median taxi member who yep. in, they mostly have home studios. Yes. Um, they range from I've got it kind of figured out to I've got it very figured out. There are obviously people on either side of that bell curve that are like super expert or super novice. But for the people in the middle of the bell curve that have it fairly well figured out. So uh, they hear the Bob Dylan thing mm -hmm. and they're analyzing it and they're going, oh, so it's got this space and it's got this kind of arrangement and the acoustic guitar isn't silky and glisteny mm -hmm. and glossy like an eagle's acoustic guitar. It just sounds like somebody sitting across the room playing yeah. the guitar mm -hmm. with yeah. you, you know, which brings a certain amount of intimacy to it, which defines Bob Dylan to, in that regard yeah. anyway. So do they have the mastery of engineering and production skills to be able to understand it, number one, and then repeat it with their music? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. One is, I have to say that, you know, I, again, I have no idea how long you've been inviting me back to the road rally. I love coming, but that bell... Long enough that we're not tired of you yet. That so, no, I'm thinking it's been like 10 how, years, probably? At least 10 years, yeah. yeah. And in, like, in the last decade, where that bell curve is for taxi members, it's just insane how we've, much it's moved. We've heard that so much. People have gotten so much better on every level, I mean, it's, right? it's kind of crazy because, you know, a lot of times when I started coming, which is 10 or 15 years ago or something, you'd hear this things and you'd, you want right. to help people. But it's like, wow, this is so far it's, off the it's, mark. It's at square one. I don't even yeah. know where to be inspiring <laughs> and things like that. And But yeah. again, better and better every year. But literally at the road rally this last year i'm i'm hanging out with these people playing me stuff like oh yeah what can i do to make it good and i'm just like uh you let me steal it and claim it as my own and <laughs> i mean but really a lot of the conversation just kidding <laughs> really is just kidding but a lot of the conversations i'm having with people at the rally are a lot more like i would just hang out with peers like you know hanging out right. with some buddies trading some ideas like hey man i've been using this new reverb and it works this way or wow i just picked up this cool trick and man it's really made my vocals pop and so much of the taxi kind of critiques has gone from you know the guy with the mastery down to the student right. to a much more kind of hey let's exchange some ideas so the, almost wow. like hey i would feel it this way or hey maybe if you try this you could really make that chorus pop and you know and there are outliers too there's still a few people like all right you, we got some work to do here you but know, it's amazing how much that bell curve has shifted right before the rally this year i got invited to uh, criteria studios in miami where my i got my first job yeah. in my entree to the industry and they had a reunion. I haven't seen these people in 43 mm -hmm. years. And we all, I, I've always felt a little weird that I have such a, an emotional attachment mm -hmm. to the place. Well, it's my first Where Bob you know, Dylan did a record, by the way. My first job. <laughs> and the Eagles and Eric Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> on and on and on. Um, anyway, I always wondered if I was alone in my emotional attachment to the place. And we all discovered, uh, I mean, I was hanging out with Don Gaiman, who mm -hmm. did, um, oh, gosh, oh. Jack and Diane mm -hmm. um, with the... Uh, Brian Adams. No. Or, I mean, um, John Cougar Mellencamp. Yes. Um, yes. It, just all kinds of stuff. Anyway, um, and Carl Richardson and Albie yeah. Galutin, who did the Bee Gees. Yeah. People worked on Eagle stuff. And we all have that same emotional attachment. But we realized that 
we had the thrill of going to work every day and having this kind of conversation yeah. about production and about engineering yeah. with other guys who were in the mix, whereas people today are isolated. Yes. Uh -huh. And the road rally takes them out of that isolation yes. and puts them in a room with people like you and other fellow members who are more experienced. And what you're talking about is what happens as a result yeah. of that. And I love it. But to actually answer your question, um, why, yes. Why start now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, those people in the center, middle of the bell curve right. can absolutely do it. Yeah. I'm faster because this is what I do every, every day, day in right. and out. So I can hear something and pretty immediately go, oh, look at that. Or, oh, yeah, they use this kind of delay here or something like that. But when I started, it wasn't that. And for me, you know, I would spend times usually just I'd be mixing a record or something and comparing it against records I love. And I'm like, I'm getting my ass kicked. I don't have any idea why. And <laughs> um, But really, there was like a magical time for me. I remember I was working on this record up in Canada with this sort of, you know, alternative kind of rock band thing. And uh, I'd been listening to um, Pearl Jam's Versus record, which Brendan okay. O'Brien did a fantastic mix on. And I'm just like, man, I'm trying to do this thing and do this thing. And I must spend hours like listen to that. My thing. Why is it kicking my ass so bad? Like yeah. there's some excitement and quality. What's I mean, the beyond secret the, sauce? Beyond there's something, a drive and power in it that I'm not getting. And I'm just back and forth. And then all of a sudden, just it just hit me like that. Wow, there's a whole bunch of 10K on top of that kick drum. Yeah. Because I was like, like everybody coming out, oh, kick drum is this low instrument, you know, and this is real early on in my career. So boom, 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 boom. Wow, 10K on a kick drum. That's bold because you're just inviting cymbal leakage, number um, one, but you're getting. But, but it's super actually normal now, especially in the heavier genres. Yeah. Wow. But it was that thing where all of a sudden I realized there was this thing like a pencil hit kind of hitting with tick, 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 tick. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. So so all of a sudden I'm like, well, let me try that. And boom. It was that elusive thing, not to say that my mix was up there with Brendan O'Brien's by any stretch at that point in my but career. But that's how you become Brendan O'Brien, is yeah. by noticing what other people are doing that's cool yeah. and not copying them exactly, but amalgamizing, if that's even a word. Yeah. The amalgamation of, I learned this from Brendan O'Brien and this yeah. one from, you know, JJP. And yeah, the, and, and, and just going, going through that wrestling once... Now, when I sit down and kind of evaluate something, my ear, that's something, oh, that's something I do. And I check and I can understand the kick drum is this wider frequency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times I can sort of peg pretty close to what your record was done by the sound of the kick drum in terms, um, you know, how much low end does it have? And I really listen. Wow, does that low end kick drum have a ton of low end it's or funny. is it really sparse? I, I can't even do that anymore because so many... Back in my day, mm -hmm. you know, everything was done with Mike's wires in EQ. Yep. And now it's layering of five kick drums. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and I don't know the libraries to know, yeah. oh, that's this particular but, library. And in a kick. sense, I, I can't, I would never claim to go, I mean, there's a couple things you go, oh, yeah, that's the same one everybody's using yeah. on that. But you can still tell, oh, there's a lot of top end on that kick drum, or there's a lot of low end, or there's no low end on that kick drum. And yeah. and that that's all real estate's always being taken up by the base. And but doing that kind of work is so crazy important for your development as a um, as a producer, as an engineer and really looking at things objectively, because I I was brought in to do this project um, and I'm non-disclosure agreement, so I can't tell you the details about it. But they said, hey, we want this record to sound like a lost track. This thing, this project we're doing mm. they They said, we're going to hire you to mix it. And it's. We want it to sound like a lost track from this album from 1969. A great album. Okay. And great album that has mono drums 
at the busy parts, it has two mono guitars okay. and, you know, really sparse arrangements. And they sent me the tracks to, and I even told them in advance, the guy uh, said, okay, here's a couple things for that vintage style you're looking for, uh, what you need to pay attention to. So were the tracks recorded back then? or No, no, they were new. They were new. They wanted, they and want, you didn't record them. You're just I didn't. Just, they just mixing. said, hey, we're going to send it to you to mix. And so it came back. Did you, know, you mix the original project back no, in the day or no, any uh, of their stuff? No, okay. I was two. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it came back and I had 13 stereo guitar tracks. <laughs> and <laughs> it's one of those things where like, um, and, and not to say, I mean, I, I can't see any reason for ever doing that, but not to say that 13 stereo guitar tracks is empirically wrong. But it's empirically inappropriate I think for the it's target. Wrong. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan I'm, of, of stereo guitars unless you're recording Antonio Carlos Jobim or yes. somebody where the guitar is. And there's nothing else to right. fight with it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, you and I are very much agreement on that. But it's one of those things, and that's the same sort of thing. Like you might have working with an artist, whether it's for like a film and TV listing or even just an artist who kind of has aspirations. Like, oh yeah, I want to do something like in this in this trap style thing. It's like, mm -hmm. okay. There are hi-hat patterns that are, you know, really tied into that genre. There are kind of kick drum sounds and sort of the density of kick drum sounds that are really happening in terms of that genre and things like that. And, of course, you can follow the muse wherever she leads and, you. And you can dial them up with software. Mm -hmm. Honestly, yeah. you could probably go online today and Google so-and-so's kick drum sound and yeah. probably find out, yeah. you know, which patch and which library. Yeah. Yeah, but the, too easy. But yeah, but the biggest thing is to really sit down and like study study productions. And same with writing, like study what the masters have done. Yeah. Uh, and the great thing for me, the great thing about it is there are still a few records that I try and study, and they just completely humble me. I'm like, yeah, I'll never be that guy or that gal. But um, but the amazing thing too is when you pull a lot of times pull apart on. I could get that guitar sound when I really listen to it. I could get that guitar sound or, oh yeah, I could program that. And even just the song I was kind of, you know, a song I'd love, uh, Dan Wilson is such an amazing yeah. songwriter. You know, he wrote this beautiful song called D&D, &D, which I've, I've loved for years. And I always just kind of listen to the fan and yeah, wow, it's this beautiful writing and wow, it's kind of complex and interesting. And I, you know, and I was, um, Kind of like, oh yeah, I'm kind of learning. I wanted to just jam on it, and I went and learned it, and like figured it, checked out, found the chords, and like, this is just four four chords over and over and over again, except for the bridge bit. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's not complicated at all. It's yeah. just great writing. Over, I could have come up with those four chords. So it's amazing how often a lot of times when you look at things, and you know, that's even with some stuff going on right in the top of the charts right now, that is so within the reach of people in the in your bell curve and even right. on the lower end of that we played thing. some stuff on taxi tv was it last week's show where we were playing yeah, i can't remember anyway it's recently oh i know what it was we had uh, a staff-wide meeting here in my office the other night and we were listening to stuff that the people at the mentor lunch picked mm -hmm. um and and some of that stuff was like right on the edge of being like record quality and i'm not just talking about the engineering and production but yeah. the whole package the writing and everything it's like 
You know, this is a very, in the real world of making records, this is a B plus to an A minus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take a lot to take an A minus and make it an A or an A yep. plus. So I was very proud of our members. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I want to turn you on to something. Um, where it go? Damn. Try not to break it. I guess it was two months ago. I was online and I literally stumbled onto this thing and the company sent me one i'm not plugging this i don't you know i did get this unit for free but i'm not plugging it for money i'm plugging it because it's awesome hmm. packaged really well it's a mower <laughs> they they're well known for making a lot of pedals and ah. a lot of sims and uh this thing basically combines everything they've got into one box. Wow. Still, this thing. I mean, it's built like a tank. Oh, yeah. This is serious hardware. And it sounds so good. And people that are buying these things are saying that it's comparable to a, a Kemper. Um, wow. And it's 400 bucks. Wow. Cool. So, anyway, just saying, again, Neat. once again, I don't get anything. I did get this unit for free, full disclosure. But it sounds amazing. And you know me. I won't plug anything that I don't really truly believe in. So far, I've spent probably, I don't know, three hours just with my strap plugged into wow, this thing, just cool. checking out all the sounds. Sounds amazing. Nice. And I'm, you know, uh, I'm a mic, wire, and amplifier yep. guy. Mm -hmm. Not so much anymore. <laughs> uh -oh. Sadly. Yeah. It really does sound that good. Anyway, back to stereo guitars. Stereo guitars and why you shouldn't use them. Yep. Um, so what else do you talk about? <clears throat> what else did you talk about? And cough drop. I'm getting a tickle in my throat. What else well, didn't you talk about in the class that well, I couldn't go to because I was busy in the ballroom? You're busy I, I running would, the whole thing. I would love to see your class sometime. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much stuff going on elsewhere in the hotel that Got you don't it. get to see. Well, um, well, one of the things, um, there's a couple trends happening right now. And you know, because of YouTube not wanting right, us we to play anything, play we can't stuff. really play you any stuff. But there's some things that are really happening right now in production that's a really significant change. For about the last 20 years, things have just been dry and in your face. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things when I was kind of giving people feedback at Taxi, they'd play me their thing. I'm like, ah, dude, what's with all the reverb? You know, they'd just be drenched in reverb in ways that's completely stylistically inappropriate. For, right, but that's you know. a sign of somebody that's just getting enough confidence in their engineering capability <laughs> and reverb just makes it sound prettier so they exactly. go exactly and but the, but the sad thing is it really makes it sound soup always making it sound super amateur or out of date and things like that so really like reverb was one of those things and in the 80s it was a member of the band right you know um but by the time the <laughs> early 90s hit um it kind of became one of those things that was not cool to feature so definitely i mean frowned upon yeah so i mean a lot of records were just bone bone dry for 20 years or when we use reverb it'd be sort of tucked in away we're like okay i'm gonna blend that in use reverb to blend something or sit something back a little bit but the really big thing and this has really just happened in the last year is reverb is coming back so uh, give me some examples of types of well, give me a song example um, and then talk about how reverb is used now. Well, time. number one song in the world right now, Circles by Post Malone, yep. which was also, I think, at the rally, however many weeks ago, was number one or number three in the top three. So that's been sitting up there for a long time. Right. Um, but uh, that, has, that has a really long reverb tail, 
And there's something cool kind of going on with that, which I'll ex explain in some more detail in a minute because it's, it's really okay. important to do it. But a big part of happening, like almost everything. And so, I mean, the, the things in the top 10 right now, Circles, Post Malone, number one, Someone You Loved, Louis Capaldi, uh, Good As Hell, Lizzo, Memories, Maroon 5, Roxanne by Arizona Zervas, uh, Lose You to Love Me, Selena Gomez, Senorita, Shawn Mendes, and uh, was it Cabela Cabello, I think? Um, right, Camilla Hook. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Dan and Shay with Justin Bieber, and then Lizzo again. Um, but almost the um, uh, the um, uh, Roxanne track is, is a little on the drier side, but almost all of those have reverb as an important part and really prominent reverb. Not just used as an effect um, on a particular thing for a second or two to make a point. It's, it's pretty like significant. Okay. Um, but here's one of the things that I want people to... and. And this is a great thing. There's a much longer discussion about the business model of streaming and all of that, right. which we won't we won't get into. I hope they sort it all out because as creators and people trying to learn more, streaming services are amazing. Yeah, <laughs> because you can go to go type in Billboard into your at least Spotify. That I yeah, I, see the I, I pay for a bunch of them. Um, but type in Billboard into Spotify and you'll get the top. And you can see what is the top of the Billboard right now. You can also check their list to see what is the top of streaming. And you can sit down and study. You know, yeah. It's like having this amazing library at Absolutely. your fingertips. There's no excuse. To, to study and look at that. I, and it really upsets me when people say, I hate what's on radio. They mean what's out in the world. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to it. Well, then, okay, so you don't want to really be in the music industry yeah. anymore. Well, that's something. And luckily, that's kind of going away, too. You know, in years past, we talked to people like, oh, yeah, you know, here's here's an EDM track we did for a listing. What do you think? Right. And I'm thinking, I think you never listened to EDM. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's true. And, but, but again, it's that bell curve has shifted so much. It's crazy. Um, but one of the things that's happening, and this is super important, I want everybody to go like type Billboard into at least Spotify. I don't know if you can do it on Apple Music. I didn't try that. But and listen to what's going on. Yeah. And one of the things you're going to notice is that reverb, prominent reverb being, and I mean that not being super loud, but being a, a feature component of what's going on is a huge part of what's going on right now. But the super important thing is, you know, somebody might go, oh, well, I saw Rona on Taxi TV and he said, slosh the sauce on everything. <laughs> and um, But here's the super important thing about what's going on. Like in the 80s, they, they did make records like slosh the sauce on everything. I mean, like Cinderella's Long Cold Winter album is this amazing record that's just drowning in reverb. Or, or any of the Phil Collins yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, dear God. But Reverb was a yes. member of the band. But the the thing that's happening right now, and this is super important if you're going to start kind of integrating these things into your workflow, drenched in reverb is not the thing that's going on right now. Contrast between reverb and very dry is the thing that's going on right now. Okay, so give some examples, like specific instrument examples. Would it be that... Um, the band is basically dry, but a guitar part is drenched in reverb, so it sounds like it's in another room or an, 50 feet an back. An element is really dry, and an element is <laughs> really wet. Complementary elements, um, or not necessarily? They kind of mix around. Drum, uh, most of the cases, drums are super dry yeah. right now. Um, but like a really cool example is this Post Malone tune, um, where if you listen to it, you listen to that voice, I'm like, oh, that voice is drenched in reverb. 
because you hear it and you hear the long reverb tail. And so somebody just trying to, you know, get inspired by that and do that kind of technique might go, well, let me just pour reverb onto everything. Mm -hmm. But that's not what's going on with his. And it's re really beautifully done how they've done it. His voice is actually pretty dry. Yeah. But there is a long delay on it. And that delay is drenched in reverb. Right. So we have that thing of the clarity and the presence that you often want from a pop vocal. But it puts it in a place at the but same so, time. Yeah, so, but, it's, but it's coming back. So you get the voice and then trailing off. So you still get that really dry thing. And on that record, the drums are really crunchy and dry. And so um, other things, you'll have a situation where things will be very dry, but there'll be a very kind of uh, like reverbed out string pad or guitar or things like that or even like some of the Lizzo stuff she's got a couple songs in the top 10 uh, right now where you know her voice is very dry in your face aggressive drums but she'll usually have an out of tune sort of piano in, the, in these two songs she's got on the charts right now that are very roomy mm -hmm. so the whole thing happening right now where we had two decades of everything in your face you know Listen to like anything with Rick Rubin's name on it as a producer from the last 20 years. Like everything in your face. Um, <laughs> but the thing now is like stuff in your face, but also things out there. And almost every track you're going to hear, like in the top 10, I'd say at least actually 80, 90% of it has those kind of contrasts. And do the reverbs, I mean, reverbs fall in a couple of categories. Uh, I'm going to oversimplify, but I'm going to say that natural reverb natural mm -hmm. sounding reverb yeah. and synthetic sounding reverb yeah um even, even though like the stuff on uh, phil collins drums back in the 80s mm -hmm. uh, you could make the argument that yeah you know the drums were in a room and a room sounds like that but yeah. it was obviously synthetic yeah um i mean i know they recorded the drums in the, in i forget which studio but power station and it's actually um, super compressed room gated right is how they right. kind of created that unnatural reverb but sound that's so powerful the stuff that i've heard on the charts lately mm -hmm. so you're right it almost all has a heavy pre-delay mm -hmm. um, big fans a heavy pre-delay yep. um, and the reverb sounds pretty natural yeah uh -huh. it, it, it sounds um not chamber like but you know but a, a lot longer than you would expect yeah especially after coming out of the last couple decades right yeah, yeah. that's why I mean, when i say natural it, it doesn't yeah. uh -huh. sound truncated it doesn't sound yep harsh it doesn't sound like an effect it sounds yeah. like real reverb from somewhere and for you at home um <laughs> a really big part of this too is uh, that's going to be super super urgent is um if you want to have reverb where it feels like a feature on something it can't have a lot of competition right so you can't have well, we got nine guitar tracks and three synth pads and all of that to get that cool effect you have to have a lot of real estate available for that for that reverb so you're talking arrangement wise sparse sparse right. sparse yeah okay and you know and virtually every track on the top 10 of the charts right now is really really sparse what amazes me sometimes when i find it talk to friends of mine who've worked on big records like this that yeah they'll have a huge number of tracks but yet they mm -hmm. still sound sparse but i find out that many of the tracks are just layered sounds yeah they'll they'll like have layered up 20 kick drum sounds to get that kick run <laughs> i don't understand why but they do it and I they've know. had success with it so god bless them but yeah but yeah. but really it is a lot of those giant track counts are using multiple tracks to create essentially one sound so you'll have a background vocal stack that they might have 40 background vocals on right. to, to essentially create one instrument right 
So back in the old days, we used to put four people around a microphone. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. Yeah. So so that's a really big thing going on, and that's the thing that's changed so dramatically, even from last year, and certainly from the year before, is the big hip thing is that contrast of super dry elements and super wet elements. Um, Bass sounds um, have been altered, uh, have changed a lot. Yeah. Um, the really like sub frequency growly yeah. stuff. I mean, it's just everywhere to the point where I just got a new car a week or two ago and I was tuning the stereo in the car yeah. and I can't because <laughs> the bass is so predominant. Yeah. And it just does, you can't get it to sound right in a car. But then I realize it's, I don't know what right is by yeah. today's uh -huh. standards. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. It's not them. It's not the car. It's me. Yeah. It, and it plays a really different role because a lot of the, you know, urban stuff and pop stuff is these sort of 808 kind of synthy sounds really, with over, really, and overdriven. Really, yeah, but yeah. really low. I yeah. mean, like, you know, everything is below 100 hertz to the point where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my God, there are parts of my body that are getting rattled <laughs> by this. Yep. I just want to hear the bass. I want to feel it thumb me in the chest, not rattle other body parts. Yeah. But other and, people do. And yeah. in almost all Clean of those. it up, young lady. <laughs> She's laughing. I, I met my hands, uh, my, my back, getting a massage yeah. against the car seat. And yeah. almost all of those, too, you need sort of kind of tighter kick drums because with right. all the that sub real really estate wow. there's there's no yeah. there's no room for a you know when the levee breaks kick drum <laughs> sound in there so it's like right. to leave real estate in there yeah but also too and the and that's the thing that you guys will find out you know if you hang out with engineers who are talking about records that turned out great you know it we usually don't obsess that much about, oh, it was this Neve EQ versus this Neve EQ, but it was that the production came in great because, you know, that, you know, and not just the urban stuff, but it's crossed, crossed over into a lot of just, you know, non kind of hip hop pop world and stuff um, is you'll have that gargantuan bass drum sound. Yeah. So here it is down here and there, there's nothing up here. Until, you know, when you think of arrangement, like those big things, like a lot of the trap stuff. Yeah. You know, you've got this gargantuan sub stuff going on. And not much else till you get to the and vocal. Then, yeah, and the vocal. <laughs> and then you've got a really, hi-hats are really prominent. Yep. And, you know, and just usually a kind of a backbeat two and four type snare thing. Yep. And so you've got, you don't have a bunch of like low guitars and stuff in there fighting for attention. So you can actually get away with pushing up that. And making that bass bigger than we would do, would do if we were mixing a rock record. And, and the way the bass is played, you know, it's mm -hmm. sustained notes. They're very round, very long. And it's usually synth-based. Yeah. 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 Which, again, is another thing. And that's um, what's going, like, in the, in the top of the charts. Like, in the Spotify, the top 20 songs on Spotify right now, I think the probably the only thing that has real drums on it... Uh, is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> right, but that's an old record. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so and uh, there's like one or two that are like eking up into the top 20 that have drums. They're old Christmas songs. Almost everything else is fake drums right now. Yeah. Which is a guy who loves drums and is actually pretty good at recording. I, Real drums makes me a little sad, but I also love ED. Not, uh, not Easy Drummer. What's the parent company? Tune Tracks. Um, mm -hmm. Um, what's their more sophisticated drums? Not easy. Drum. Superior drummer. Superior drummer just came out with a, a new modern drum sounding yep. you know thing that 
Al Schmidt recorded in capital mm -hmm. D. And I thought, well, that's odd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to sound like today's records, but yeah. it was done by Al Schmidt in capital B, which, I mean, he, he's one of the greatest engineers yeah. ever. You know, yeah. capital Studio B is a pretty traditional, it's a great yeah. sounding room, yeah. but pretty traditional. Yeah. So I might have to go buy that just to hear it. Yes. But a lot of it, too, is, yeah, it's not even intended to sound like a drummer playing. Yeah. And even there's even one or two songs where I'm like, that. there's a chance that could maybe have been a real drummer that they just tightened up and chopped up a right. little bit. But that's really what's going on. The cool thing about that for, you know, like folks out there in taxi world is, you know, the top of the charts, it, there's so much going on at the top of the charts right now that there's nothing about being a bedroom producer that is prohibitive right. to you kicking ass. And a lot of the stuff was probably started in a bedroom. Yeah. It may have gotten mixed on an SSL, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately, but it, the tracks probably got built in a bedroom. But, but really, there is so much that um, that really, and even even part of this too, when I listen to it, there's, I think it's a lot of really cool stuff in the top of the charts right now. But, you know, as a veteran engineer who's pretty good at what I do, there's not a lot I listen to from a technical point of view going, wow, that engineer just knock that out of the park. It's, man, that producer or that artist came up with really cool ideas. That was yeah. a cool sound choice. What oh, is a neat. producer nowadays? Yeah. The definition has shifted dramatically. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. A producer, you know, is a songwriter, engineer, producer. It's kind of all in yeah. one thing mm -hmm. versus, you know, it used to be the producer told the engineer what he'd like to hear yeah. and, uh, or she, uh -huh. um, and, and the producer was in charge of the budget. And yeah. now it's like, who you bring in to work on this song makes you a producer and and how you lay your drums makes you a producer yeah. and does the hi-hat actually you know ramp up to 16th notes right before uh the chorus comes in all that stuff makes you a producer versus the overall yeah but in a way it's still back to like it was even when you started where ultimately the producer credit goes to the guy or the gal who managed to get their name on as the producer. Yeah. <laughs> you have so many situations where, oh yeah, you were never in the studio ever, and somehow you got your name on the back as a producer. I'm not gonna <laughs> disclose which band, but I actually engineered for a band that was famous. Uh, I will tell you that it was an urban act back in the days of disco, and the producers uh, were a publicist and a photographer. Mm -hmm that had a lot of drugs yeah, <laughs> and therefore they got the production credit. And yeah. those guys did literally didn't show up for the first two weeks yeah. of the record. They were stuck in a hotel room with hookers and drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and the president of the label had to go get them and drag them to Florida and sit in the control room with them. And, and they didn't know anything about making a record. <laughs> Mind blowing. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a couple other kind of cool things going on, like in the, in the speaking of drums like in the if it's still in the case going up like three three of the top 10 songs yeah. on the charts right now have no drums at all well actually uh the selena gomez tune uh has a just a kick drum sample yeah that comes in on a slow quarter note thing like the bridge and i just Las heard Chorus. that song like four days ago and she's a really good singer she is really good <laughs> and her records are great i yeah. love selena gomez yeah. records but that one i kept waiting for something more to happen and nope didn't. that one um but yeah this lewis uh capaldi yeah. thing it's pretty much piano voice with a little bit of washy stuff going on great record um, but another great example of 
maybe it's just because we've been trained to expect certain things yeah. to happen at certain times. So yeah. you, you kind of viscerally feel it coming and then it doesn't. But then you listen to it go, still a great record. But and also whatever. It's the, a new style. The Big Maroon 5 hit, uh, Memories Right Now, yeah. had no drums at all on it. Uh, that Louis Capaldi thing is pretty interesting because uh, um, my this is my theory. I have nothing to back it up. Is that they pit, <laughs> that they pitch shifted the master yeah. on that record? Really? Because why? When I got why turned did... on to him, I'm like, oh, this is great. I like this guy a lot. So I went and you know started YouTube wanting to see some live performances, and everything I've heard is like like a whole step down. Interesting. And yeah, he's got this deep resonant kind of voice yeah. on there. And I mean the single is great, <laughs> it's, but it's every everything I found from him on YouTube was lower, and it sounded almost in a way where you know a lot of times for tough songs or when singers get older you drop right. things down a half step. Okay, your little next decade down another <laughs> half step. <laughs> um, but yeah, my my theory is it, it it's I think he sounds fantastic in both versions yeah but it's sort of just even the the color of it is so different i think they actually might have shift pitch shifted that whole master up um that's a theory and i have no information to back that up I, uh, there's a discussion about this uh i had shirelli on the show shirelli and michael lloyd were on the show mm -hmm. uh, two three weeks ago and we had a little bit of a discussion about how important the key is to the how a song feels yeah it can be so um determined by the the key and apparently that discussion transferred onto the taxi forum and people were having a discussion about mm -hmm. it there. It absolutely, um, I mean, you could take a song from not being dark and make it dark. Yeah. Um, forget, you know, making it a minor key, but just lowering it. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, texturally changes everything. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the things too where, you know, when people give me their finished records or whatever, like, hey, you know, we'd love to see what you think. You know, give you some feedback. Mostly, I won't unless they hire me to do it. Right. Because in reality, at that point, they just want somebody who's made more records than they have. Great to go, job. Great job. Because <laughs> it, it's one of those things I always say, like, like, hey, we're, we just put out an album. What do you think? You listen to the first song, you, yeah, that's in the wrong key for that singer. Um, <laughs> that's that's one. Didn't we have <laughs> one of those in the staff listening thing the other day where we all went, oh my gosh, or maybe I brought that up as everybody's leaving the room. That oh, I said. There were so many of these that were really close that I really liked. You were here for that, right? And But the vocal performances were the thing, you know, it's like a finished record, but the vocal performance was good. Mm -hmm. It was better than adequate. It, it was pretty darn good, but pretty darn good does not make a hit record. Yep. You needed exceptional. And all I was sitting there like twisting in my chair thinking, man, if I had that singer in the, you know, if I mm -hmm. were in the studio with that singer, I can think of five things I would have said yep. or done with that singer to get the performance that would have taken it from being an incredible track with a solid vocal to an mm -hmm. incredible track with a vocal that yeah. surpassed the quality. And for track. us old fogies, that's what we think of as production. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know? exactly. Not like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the guy who made the drum sample, which, again, is a valuable part of the whole process and something. But, yeah, it's one of those things when, you yeah. know, from the older generation, you, that's the one where you said, yeah, let's look at tempo. Let's look at key. Now, let's look at getting the fire from that performance. Vocal and, yeah. producers. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I have a friend named Cara Diaguardi that probably 30% yeah. of her work is vocal production. Yep. And she's famous for it because she's a great vocalist yep. in her own right. But... I don't know. Back in the day, we used to be required to be good at all of it, not just some of it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah uh, let's talk but about some of the other ones. One of the other things going on right now, 
is one kind of cool thing is guitars are back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. I mean, they're creeping back, but are they back back? Well, actually, I, f- I forget exactly what the lineup was, um, you know, the weekend of the road rally. Yeah. But I think in the top 10 songs, s- at least six of them had guitars. Wow. And uh, hear that, Fender? <laughs> Things are looking up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guitars. But the thing is, one thing that's really kind of hip, like I know, I mean, the Post Malone songs definitely got guitars. Uh, the Maroon 5 definitely got guitars. Uh, the Shawn Mendes definitely has guitars. Uh, the Dan and Shay has guitars. Um, yeah, I have to double check the others. But one of the things that's really happening with this, and almost in the week, the weekend of the road rally, it was almost comic how much this was happening. But having a very modulated instrument, usually mm-hmm. the guitar, and that's still in terms of what's going on right now, so a lot of what you're hearing isn't just, oh, yeah, here's just the normal strummy acoustic guitar. Modulation is um, no longer a dirty word. It's, it's really a core part of a lot of what's going on. So, so does this mean I can break out the... Uh, chorus, and that chorus pedal can come out I, of the closet. I was, I was thinking uh, a B3, a Leslie B3. Oh, yeah. A, a B3 Leslie, because yeah. back in my day, we used to run a lot of guitars. Through yeah. Um, I actually just finished a record a little while back where we've got that on vote. Uh, B3, uh, Leslie on guitars and the vocals wow. on stuff. But, you know, chorused out, flanged, flanged out kind of stuff um, on but the guitars. The Mutron Biphaser, have you ever used one? Long time ago, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I had one in the 80s, loved that thing, and now they're like $1,300 yeah, or something. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I think I gave mine to a friend. <laughs> <laughs> but but even stuff like the Lizzo stuff, yeah. you know, the the keyboards are kind of out of tune. Like the piano and the two things she's got on the top of the charts right now, it's built on piano that are kind of out of tune. So things being a little modulated, a little bit off, and things like that is really a big part of it. So you know, if if you can encapsulate taking out the no drum ballad things, which mm-hmm. we have three in the top ten right now. Um, Which is amazing in and of itself. The yeah. Ballads are, you know. Yeah. And good ones, too. Yeah. But the big thing, if you could say, what's, ha- you know, encapsulate what's happening right now on the top of the charts is you would have that thing of you'd have very dry forward elements like drums tend to be very crisp and discreet. Um, generally, vocals kind of crisp and discreet and other elements that are kind of very modulated and some reverb elements in there. So creating this kind of what we're used to of in-your-face, dry, crisp sort of things blended in with things that are a little bit soupy, <laughs> you know, through through different things. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of like the big overarching thing of what's going on like right now in terms of production. You know, bring me in next week, might have a different conversation. <laughs> but, but actually the top 10 hasn't changed a lot since yeah. the road rally. So. Well, that's only been... What a month and a half, or no? Uh, yeah, but in pop and music, that's like a, a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hard to believe the rally just ended a month ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I find that vocal performances um, are very different uh, nowadays. Yes. I mean, you don't get a lot of gymnastics mm-hmm. uh, out of vocalists. Yeah. And to some degree, um, you don't get a lot of emotion. It, it's almost more about the coolness of the vibe. Um, mm-hmm. seems to be a thing now not yeah. um, I mean obviously for the ballad stuff it, it, it's make me cry yeah. break my heart you yeah. know, tear my heart out of my chest but a lot of the mid-tempo uh, pop stuff that I've heard the vocals are very 
cool, but uh, there's a word that almost a little detached sounding, but they pull it yeah. off so well that you go, okay, they had to really work at doing that. And within yeah. the context of the track, it all comes together. It's yeah. just a new sound. So the, all yeah. this goes to, you can't live in your yesterday um, and try and make records that are competitive mm -hmm. today. So yeah. listen, yeah. listen but, up. Yeah, and some, some of that, and I hope this doesn't come off as snotty or whatever, but, oh yeah, um, but, <laughs> but I think some of that that actually ended up working um, detached thing is you do have some people who come up to be sort of music stars who aren't music people. Right. They so, they, so they weren't trained as a vocalist. Yeah. But but even in terms of, you know, coming up, you really using their voice as an expressive instrument in a musical context, yeah. whether that's singing, you know, singing in the choir at church or singing in a punk band or coming up you know rapping with your friends or things like that where you kind of develop the craft there's kind of there does tend to be some things where yeah that's an interesting character yeah i guess he should be a, a rap star kind of thing or I, Billie eilish um great example of well, well, she's the detached thing. Great, but yeah, yeah. And, and the yeah. technical. And I'm skills, definitely not talking about her. I think she's fantastic. I do too. Yeah. I, I think that <laughs> she has captured everybody's imagination with that yeah. detached coolness. Yes, but every word counts. Yeah, it, she gives her songs meaning. I yep. remember listening to her the other day, thinking, I don't think I've heard anybody give lyrics meaning as well as that since Frank Sinatra died. <laughs> I mean, she's yeah, no, no, she's legit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm impressed. All that stuff recorded in a bedroom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you got to give her brother a lot of credit. Yes, um, definitely. That kid's talented. Yes. <laughs> um, so what else? Uh, talk about a couple more of these guys. I'm trying and to then I'm, at some point, where are we at? We're almost 5 o'clock. At some point, I want to open it up to questions. Okay. Um, um, let's talk a little bit more about the resurgence of guitars, because I know a lot of people... I've seen this with taxi members where um, production became so programming heavy and so keyboard heavy that people who play guitars it's like I'm out mm -hmm. there's no room for me yep. anymore uh, and I've noticed some guitars but not to the the um, extent that you feel that they're coming back and I'm really glad to hear mm -hmm. that because yeah. I mean rock and roll was built with guitars mm -hmm. yeah so yay yeah and it's not always playing the same role that it would right. in in traditional country song or rock and roll song but yeah. uh you know like Not a strummy yeah and sometimes i mean that post malone tune is you know that's um circles is it's not too far off from being 70s kind yeah. of mid-tempo rock i mean you know 70s they didn't have vocal auto-tune effect you know super auto-tuned and all that kind of stuff but in terms of the vibe on that that's not too far away from like what the Eagles might have done in terms of vibe and stuff like that. Right. You know, when you've got um, that um, Maroon 5, you got it basically this kind of just very staccato little thing. So they're playing roles in there. Um, and uh, even look at other stuff. But um, but they're definitely like tunes in there where it is coming in and it's a significant part of it, like in terms of what's the vibe of this track. And uh and, you know, as a guitar player, of course, I applaud that. <laughs> well, then you need to pick yourself up. Right? Exactly. And uh, half of the top ten songs in the country. He needs a mower. There you go. <laughs> I'm so in love with this thing. I can't wait to actually record it. But uh, 
just the sounds that mm. come out of it. It doesn't sound like a box. No. At all. Half this, half of the songs on the top ten in country have snaps on the backbeats on the two and four. <laughs> I I think that they're Snaps are becoming so ubiquitous for the last few years that it, it's oddly like, enough, especially in country, like claps. Yeah. You know, years ago, claps started coming in to the point where everything's got that. Yeah, especially same, kind of urban stuff with yeah, kind of the 808 clap type. Everything's thing in there, yeah. got 808 claps, yep. and, and I've noticed that in country, and the snaps don't sound that human. They sound like mm -hmm. they're out of yeah. a box. We were even listening and actually driving over here. I'm like, yeah, let's check out what's going on in the top 10 of the country charts right now. And there's even one that, oh yeah, there's, you know, actually old school hand claps. Wow. The more I listen, like, with snaps in there. <laughs> I forget which artist that was, but yeah, it's, you know, a, a huge thing where, and that's been going on for a little while too. But, hmm. but paying attention to things like this, like, um, is, is so important, especially for your members who are, because I know you guys have that situation where like, hey, we need something in the style of check out this reference. Uh, right, and it doesn't mean rip the song off. It yeah. means understand all the things that make the reference work and yeah. sound like that. And it's that one of the things like, wow, there are yeah. <laughs> this, you know, well, there's big snaps on the backbeats. Like, okay, well, that's certainly not ripping off anybody's intellectual property to throw snaps on the backbeats. But if you're trying to, you know, do a replacement for a track where the producer of the film's in love with this country ballad, well, you might want to think about writing, writing and arranging something that's got those. Were you in the room when I interviewed Ken Calais on Saturday night? Or was it Friday night or Saturday night? I wasn't. I mean, I, I got um, to hang out with Ken, who's brilliant. He, he's <laughs> such a good guy. And his, yeah, wow. Yeah, uh, I sat in here getting ready, writing the questions, and I had rumors on, you know, like turned up to yep. 10 in here late one night. Just listening to it is literally putting a lump in my throat and bringing tears mm -hmm. to my eyes. How well-crafted. I've always loved yep. that record, but I, I went to another level in understanding yeah. it. And uh, I read his book, and he talks about uh, the Naugahyde playing, uh, I forget <laughs> which song it was now, but they played drumsticks on a Naugahyde mm -hmm. chair, mm -hmm. and that's part of the sound. It brought me back to, I, I can't remember, the, I think it was a band called the Lloyd Ellery Band in the 70s. And, and we put claps on it, but it sounded too easy. I mean, it mm -hmm. just sounded like everybody else's record. So we ended up taking a four by eight sheet of plywood and putting yeah. it up on cinder blocks on a wood floor. And we mic'd it from across the room and then we put a 57 underneath it mm -hmm. and then put it through a DBX 160 yep. and then put it through a gate and did pop, pop. Pop, pop with the claps sounded amazing it was like a heart attack you know in a good way well <laughs> judas priest song metal gods has this metal gods hunk, hunk. What is it? and um they were recording basically uh, ringo Starr used to rent out his mansion in england you yeah. bring a remote truck up and record there and they basically got a silver serving tray in his cutlery so <laughs> hunk, hunk. Oh, wow. <laughs> well hello <laughs> Uh, let's take some questions. Yeah. Let's see if there are any questions. In. Do you, have you been right? Okay, Bria's got some questions. All right. Uh, Chris Waters asks, uh, do you think it's better to have a producer who mixes and masters themselves, or do you think it's better to have a separate person mix and then another person master? All right. The question boils down to, should the mixing engineer also master, uh, or should you have different people? Um, uh, 
I, I answer that as a guy who does both things. Um, and I do end up mixing and mastering a lot of the records I do. Um, in a perfect world, if budgets allowed it, yeah. um, I would love to send things off to a, a different mastering engineer to, to put some fresh per fresh perspective right. and things like that. I mean, in my own personal cases, I'm you know not a genius, but I'm pretty good at what I do. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where just kind of looking at the, the budget and things like that, I'm like, I'm actually a better mastering engineer than they're than I think they're going to send it off to. So I'll so there are a lot of people that do mastering. Mm -hmm. Uh, and unless you know what a great mastering engineer is, you don't know if you're getting great mastering or not. Yeah. So, and, and the guys who are truly great at it are often unaffordable. Yeah, and I, I'm also a little cautious. I, I mixed a record for somebody once, and I, I loved it. We did. I think we all did a great job, and they sent it off to somebody who just destroyed the record. Mm. Uh, and the artist w was mad at me for it. They're like, you know, you you made our vocals so harsh and edgy. I'm like. No, I did not. So if if it's if it's going to go off to one of the men, men or women who do this, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know their work. I trust them. They're great. For me, I love yeah. getting to send it off to a fresh set of ears and things like that. Um, but I I've had some bad experiences, so I'll usually keep it in house um, unless I know that they're going to go off to somebody who I I know does great work. Yep, I completely concur. Next, please. Um, Vince Nicotina asks, how can you learn to hear frequency ranges in a mix so you know what to tweak to get the right sound? Ooh, that's a great mm. question. Vincent Nicotina wants to know, how do you know how to hear the right frequencies in a mix so that you can learn how to get the right sound? Um, the short answer, and then I'll expand on it, is develop a workflow that involves a lot of subtractive thinking. Yeah. Because uh, it's, because really you can boost stuff and get it to be more exciting pretty easily, but to find problematic things and to learn to reduce that will develop your ear much more extensively. So, um, really, a big part of it is you know I was like I always love when I'm having problems to go and sort of do a search and destroy method of mm -hmm. you know boosting with a parametric EQ and going find oh wow that that was going to be my answer that kind of sucks if you because you can sit down and look at the numbers yeah. in theory I mean you and I could look at the numbers now because we're experienced yeah. and we know what the numbers sound like but until and you have a day it will come to you yes. almost like a, as an epiphany one day you yeah. go. Oh, now I get it. And yeah. then you start really perfecting how you tune your ears to it. Yeah. But um, sweeping an EQ on every instrument is the greatest way to learn. Yeah. And, and, and then once you kind of find that, and, um, and for me, I, since I do this all the time, like I'm one of those people that if you played me a note on the piano, I'd hunt for it on the guitar. Mm -hmm. Do -do -do. Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. But, but because, you know, I've spent a lot more time doing this than this uh, the last few years. I can kind of like, I do a ton of mastering for people all over the world. I can pop up a mix and just hear and go, oh yeah, problem right around 700 hertz. Mm. And because I do that all the time. Do you use any of the mix comparison software that's out there? I don't. And I, I don't want to dismiss those, but I, um, but, but I do reference other things a yeah. lot and that's actually such a powerful way to learn like whether you're mixing or doing your own diy mastering and and if those comparison softwares help you do that efficiently great but one of the big things is how much like if you're mastering your own thing and comparing it against some other like 
your 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 gold standards. Mm. Spending the time, and you know, because I do this all the time, I'm really fast at it. But I was I didn't come out of my mother that way. Um, but you spend the time like going and what's going on in my mix that's not happening in that, or vice nice. versa, and going back and forth. And most of the time, the the problem is that thinking subtractively is <coughs> is a skill set you develop. Our natural tendency... It's counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. Our, our natural tendency, because you put up your thing that you just mixed and compare it to a major label album that you love, almost almost <laughs> certainly it's usually going to be... cry. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be like, oh, wow, that's so much like, you know, brighter and the low end so much more powerful. So immediately you want to go and start boosting the high end. And what's usually going on is that your mix has too much of something. Yeah. And when you can really learn to go back and forth going, what's going on, what's going on? Are you talking too much of a frequency or too yes. much of an instrument? I'm thinking like in the mastering stage where our mix is done, yeah. but that kind of thing, like usually like a lot of honk, 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 kind of honky low mid-range. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of mixes naturally have too much of that or too much sort of nasaliness in the vocal and guitar and range. it's the most beautiful thing to understand and the most dangerous to learn yeah. how to do because <laughs> You're a hundred percent right. This I was telling you, I was tuning my car stereo the yep. other day, and it, it's got a parametric EQ, and I think it went uh, 100, 200, 500, 1K, 2.5, uh -huh. fairly yeah. standard. But man, oh man, the 200 and 500 on that <laughs> car, it's amazing. If I took uh, 500 hertz down like 2 dB, I went, I don't think I hear anything, but if I brought it up to, yeah. I really heard it. Mm -hmm. So I brought it down to, and then brought it down like another 30 seconds of an inch and left it alone. Yeah. Because it, if you take too much of 500 or 750 or a thousand, mm -hmm. you know, let's stick 500 yeah. and 750, even 200, it, it almost always sounds better taking it out. Mm -hmm. But you very quickly get to a point where you've lost the balls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so. But is that thing when you find where there's too much buildup in your thing you're working on, and you start pulling that out, all of a sudden your high end feels more exciting. Your kick, your low end feels more powerful because you've got gotten rid of that excessive buildup in in the middle. That's usually where it is. I yeah. mean, sometimes it's on the low end, sometimes it's on the high end. But it really is amazing. And again, if AB software helps you do it. Go for it. I've never okay. tried any, but I've heard two people I trust, uh, whose judgment I trust, mm -hmm. tell me that they use it. They're both taxi members, and they both do it to make their cues sound like records. Yeah. And and, and the only work. reason I don't use it is that I've got a workflow that allows me to do essentially exactly what they're doing. Well, you've also um, got like 20-some yeah. or 30 yeah. years of experience. But I'm still These like... These are guys that just really learned how to be good yeah. engineers three yeah. to five years ago. Yeah, but a lot of this, you should never worry about that because some days I walk into the studio, I'm like, I'm really good at this. <laughs> and I sit down and I'm confident, I'm doing great work. And there's other days I walk into the studio and I'm like, man, somebody's going to catch on that I'm a complete fraud and have no That's idea what I'm doing. Like everybody goes <laughs> Yeah, and you're thinking, I, you know, I have no idea what to do with this. You know, and I'll I'll go and like listen to records I know and love just to kind of reorient me and go, okay, this is where you are. This is this is the direction, and you know, because one of the things is, you know, that self doubt can kind of throw you way out of whack, mm -hmm. and then going back and go, okay, this is where I am related to these mixes that I know and love really well. Okay, good, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but I, I do it. I still, you know, with thousands of credits under my belt, I still, when I walk in the studio, <laughs> uh, also even a lot of times because i do such like 
incredibly diverse stuff. Like I've in the last couple of weeks, I've worked on projects from you know Japan, Peru, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Italy, and the United States, and things like that. So even in that kind of thing, where I like you know I was mixing something, asking the producer like, so what's hot in the Democratic Republic of Congo right now? Again. Why we love streaming services, warlords. <laughs> yeah, but the it's warlords. That, I love that band. But, yeah, but <laughs> but it's that thing where we might think, oh, Democratic Rep Republic of Congo. That's African. That's going to be all about like these natural drums and all of that. That's actually not what's hot. And you know, Democratic Republic of Congo is very much more synthetic kind of mm. feeling percussion and stuff right now. So I, you know, for me mixing something, I kind of want to know, okay, what's hot? You know, how are they feeling? You know, these. Artif intentionally artificial drums against the more organic elements and things like that. So yeah, really listening to other stuff as a as a student. It's a must. It's it's you it, can't be you can't be a race car driver if you don't start out with go karts and and watch what other drivers are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know we we all almost all of us who are lucky to do this day in and day out are, are still doing it. We're all still students because yeah. you know we got to keep. Our things, but also we got to know what's going on in terms of trends and informing our own to creative me, work. It's so fun and fascinating. I don't even do it. I haven't done it in a very long time. <laughs> and just literally before you got it, through it in the recycling bin. But I was reading, you know, Sound on Sound magazine mm -hmm. cover to yeah. cover because I love this stuff. Yeah. All right, another question, please. Uh, Smudgy asks. Hi, Smudge. <laughs> Mudgy. If we were to start a track and wanted to try to learn by recreating a Maroon 5 song, what instrument would you start with and what effects would you put on it and what instrument would be second? Okay, so just in case you couldn't hear Bria clearly, because she's on the back side of the microphone, uh, if you were going to do a Maroon sounding, a Maroon 5 sounding track, which instrument would you start with? What would you put on it? to get in the authenticity ballpark of them um well the tough part of that is <laughs> the tough part of that is maroon five songs are so different <laughs> across you know their their career so one of the things in terms of develop even just developing the craft or being inspired by pick something to start with mm. um which era yeah. which album yeah which album which era again the, the one that they've got in the top 10 right now Essentially has this sort of like electric piano. It's pretty much like voice, electric piano, and guitar. And except for like a little bit of washy synth stuff, there's not really anything else on it. <laughs> so in that, I would definitely start with the electric piano. Um, but I g generally, unless, you, unless you're just ha kind of having a fun EDM approach where you go rhythm section up, uh, which would be appropriate for some of their stuff mm -hmm. too. I always generally for writing, I like people to... I think it's a good idea to start with the um, your chordal instruments, whether it's piano, guitar, harpsichord, whatever your your thing is. Uh, just because you know there's so much cool stuff that can come, and just in terms of how you feel chord changes and things like that. Yeah. And so if you if you're doing kind of because Maroon Five is like they kind of were a rock band earlier on, then they're kind of a boy band, just like take that or you know something like that and now they're it's it seems like just adam's solo right. career <laughs> with a different name but <laughs> but um but there's different um different eras of that but in terms of you just songwriting i think 
uh, I think it's a good idea to start with your chordal instruments or start with your melody, depending on how you, you approach it. Just because there are kind of things about changes where you might feel like, oh yeah, we're really going to push into the next bar or, you know, you know, a little and one kind of change into it. And I see a lot of people will start with a, a drum pattern and then they're kind of locked into it. You can mm -hmm. almost sometimes feel that, oh man, that, <laughs> that change really wanted to feel different. Those subdivisions really wanted to feel different but they decided that this drum loop was going to be God yeah. and, and did that. So um, depends on the era because, you know, some of their earlier stuff is very guitar-based and things like that. But I would say start with the chordal instrument you know, and take a listen to Memories. You know, that's very much just driven by a particular kind of piano groove. Weren't they going on Tabitha's Secret back in the day? Yes. They're, or one other or, rig. I actually have No, that was Matchbox 20. Yes, maybe. yes. But they probably have some other name. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't I feel like I gave Smudge a great answer. But uh, <laughs> well, it depends on the song. Yeah, you know, you it, can't really. It's such a broad question. Um, Kara's flowers. There we go. Yes, Kara's flowers. Okay. <laughs> we might even have that record in our CD collection. Oh. Next, please. Yeah. Cass <laughs> uh, McEntia asks, "Well, Nick." While mixing, how long does it usually take for a song to wake up and feel like it's working? Mm. Cass McKenty wants to know, while mixing, how long does it take for a song to wake up, Bria did this, air quotes, <laughs> and feel like it's working? But there is that point where yeah. you go, okay, you know, I don't suck and this is coming together, so. Well, there's two things, ways to do it. Like, I'm, the thing I'm back working on tomorrow is actually kind of a remix of an archival thing where I'm working from an 8-track. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'll literally, it'll literally take me 10 to 15 minutes to have that a sounding blend. good. Yeah. It's not to say that I won't obsess about it for another six hours on that. Um, and then you have these other things where literally you spend a couple hours just doing file management mm -hmm. <laughs> on it. But on your sort of good general thing, once you kind of organize your tracks and things like that, usually... The, the life of something is usually there within 30 minutes for me. Again, that doesn't mean that I won't take the rest of the day to take it to be just a real thing of beauty or, you know, really eke out or highlight the most exciting and personal, important stuff about it. Have you ever had the experience, um, actually, while I was sitting on stage with Ken Kalei at the Road Rally, uh, I noticed this about one of the songs, can't remember which, uh, but... I remember years ago, probably around 1980, somebody gave me a one-to-one -one multi track safety of the song Celebrate by, or Celebrate or Celebration, mm. whichever, by Cool in the Game. Uh -huh. And I knew the engineer, it was done at uh, House of Something in West Orange, New Jersey, um, a very well-respected studio, very well-respected engineer, and I put the tape up and I started bringing the faders up one by one, and it's like the snare drum sounded like, you know, a tin foil on a tissue box. Um, it, it, track by track sounded like crap. And then at some point, I just dumped all the faders and just brought them all up to zero. Uh -huh. Everything's still in mono, and I went, yep. wow, that sounds almost like the record. Yep. And I remember Ken was bringing... Uh, soloing tracks and uh, on stage at the rally from rumors and there was one song where i thought that snare doesn't sound that good uh -huh. in context of the room and there wasn't much bleed on that record because in the end they over re-overdubbed almost yeah. everything yeah <laughs> so i find that a lot of times you know you're probably wise to set up the mix 
as a rough with everything. Just bring all your faders mm-hmm. up to zero yep. and, and listen to the whole. Yeah, absolutely. And, and absolutely. Then, and then think about it and go, okay, so what needs to be improved or fixed? Don't try and make a perfect snare. Don't try and make a perfect kick. Don't mm-hmm. try and make a perfect bass. Don't try and make a perfect anything because they'll be perfect on their own, but yep. you put it in context yep. and you've got too much perfect. Yeah, I just finished reading... Uh, producer Daniel Lenoir's book, Soul Mining. And he, oh, man. in the last chapters, he talks about, uh, the last chapter is called Four Days with Willie Nelson. Yeah. He's talking about doing the Teatro album. And they did that record in four days. And apparently, from what he said in his book, no reason to doubt it, that they would basically play, everybody played together. Yeah. Um, and then when they'd kind of come back, listen, you know, pick on the take, they would mix it real quick. Yeah. And then they'd do the next song. And what's on the album is those mixes that they did between takes. I, I would prefer to work like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But you should. I mean, and there's not exactly the question that was asked, but people really should work when, they're, when they've got their producer hat on, mm-hmm. making choices about what synth pads they're going to use, you know, how many layers of guitars are going to be there, you know, how busy the percussion is. Your record should sound good just pushing up the faders and panning a little bit. Yeah. You should have a really good sounding record. Um, and if you don't, you're probably not ready to mix. Again, sometimes we don't have that luxury to, <laughs> you know, we just have to make it work. Right. But really, so it's amazing how many, when I when I get things to mix from really like talented producers, I'm, I'm pushing up faders and going, oh, should I really charge them this much to mix? Because I'm not doing any work. <laughs> I had I had the converse happen where a lot of times I, I really didn't like mixing other people's recordings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I took it as a major point of flattery when I would get a phone call from somebody that was mixing a record that I engineered. They go, dude, thank you for doing all the cleanup work. Everything's uh-huh. great. I shoved the faders up to zero. Sounds like a record already. But when I got other people's stuff, I, I couldn't hear their vision, uh-huh. yeah. you know, and I didn't want to take it out of that realm because they were in the room with the artist that yeah. created it. So I didn't want my mix to take them out of the bag that they were in already. Yeah. And sometimes I just felt inappropriate, like I shouldn't be on this project. There were a couple of times I actually turned down a project after getting the tapes and going, I'm not the right guy for this. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I did go through that same thing you did. Uh, after working with Neil Young, I was branded the acoustic guitar guy, mm-hmm. and I could not get any rock guys. And that record I played you that song yeah, about before, uh-huh. that was like my comeback. I decided to do that <laughs> to show people I could actually record an electric nice. guitar because I'd done so much. You know, yeah. Oh, I've been to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next, please. In Redwood. Um, Marion Laird asks, "What are some good wet slash dry reverb uh, ratios for mixes?" And does that change from genre to genre? What are some good wet-dry ratios for mixes, and does that change from genre to genre? Yes, and even in the same genre from year to year. And song to song. Um, But I would strongly discourage you from thinking about a number on that. Um, Yeah, because the numbers don't tell you anything. No, you've got to use your own judgment, your gut. Yeah, so that's going to change every time. Um, and a big thing, too, even more where I'm not worrying about numbers is most of the time, if I'm just putting a little bit of reverb on a guitar or tambourine to sit it into the room a little bit, I might just put it right on the individual track, like mixing in the DAW. Yeah. But most of the time for primary things like like would be a drum reverb or my lead vocal reverb or things like that, uh, I'm bussing those out to a new 
channel, putting the reverb there. Um, and using sends to... Yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm I'm essentially blending. So I have no idea. You know, I'm not going to do the logarithmic math to tell me <laughs> what is what is 13% related to minus 70. Uh. If you're pulling this out, or no, it's not a slide rule, <laughs> but if you're pulling out the slide rule to make your record, you're probably yeah. not making a great record. Um, so really, it, it, it changes. Um, one thing I can throw in that's super, super, super important is reverbs rarely come out of you know the sound coming out of your reverb is rarely ideal for sitting into your mix mm. um i eq reverbs on virtually every record i make wow i'm saying wow because i grew up with a bunch of guys that did that i mean they would eq the sends they would eq the returns yep. they would compress the returns they would do all this stuff and then uh yeah, can't remember if it was Shirelli or somebody, one of my, it's like, man, I just use presets and on occasion I'll change them. <laughs> and it's like, wow, really? But the one thing that all of my engineer friends from every era agree on is the days of having seven or eight different reverbs on the same song are largely gone. Mm -hmm. That most people find that it's two or three. Is that true for you? I would or say for main ones, and, and truth is now that you know, I'm doing more kind of things. I mean, I have a ton of outboard gear and use that, but with a lot of in-the-box stuff and complex routing and things like that, um, I might have a few others doing like tiny little jobs, mm. but I'll usually have, there's rarely more than one or two main workhorse right. reverbs uh, in a mix. What's your favorite reverb sound? Plate, chamber, room? Do you have a default that you kind of start with and then see? No, and, and to me also personally is... You know, when when you're in the digital realm, for the most part, I've never really pulled up a a chamber on a Lexicon reverb and thought, oh, that really sounds like a chamber. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a Lexicon reverb, that kind of patch. <laughs> and so I've never really been too obsessed about that. Yeah. Um, but what I can give one plug, um, one of my most um, common reverbs that I use is from a company called Valhalla. And they have Valhalla Plate. Yeah. It's 50 bucks, and it is probably my most used in-the-box reverb. I mean, I've got outboard reverbs, too. Yeah. But that one, and actually Mick Gazowski. No uh, <laughs> uh, Mick Gazowski, you know, he engineered, mixed the Daft Punk record. Okay. But Oof. also, he was the big vocal guy, so he was mixing your Mariah Carey, your Celine Dion. Gosh, your, I can't believe I've never heard his name. Yeah, but I love Mick Gazowski, yeah, he's incredible. Love Daft And he turned me on to that, and this is a guy who's... <laughs> You can get whatever and reverb you want. Valhalla? Valhalla Plate. Okay. Yeah, it's a plate reverb, and that's my most. And, uh, yeah, which I which uh, actually shared on my Instagram account, Ronan Chris Murphy. Um, <laughs> there you go. But you know what? But, before, because I my will setting, forget, yeah. we've only got 10 minutes left. Yeah. Um, plug some of your stuff. People should know how to find you. So got what's it. your site? So Instagram is RonanChrisMurphy.com. I mean, whatever, just Ronan Chris Murphy. Uh, if you go to RonanChrisMurphy.com, that can feed you out to, to my educational stuff. Tell, tell them about the boot camp. And so, and one of the things is I do kind of alternative education things, um, and and all my like most of my educational stuff I do is bodies together in a room. That issue we talked about at the beginning. Right. Everybody's so like alone all the time. I try and create events to get people together. So yeah. even a lot of things are like, hey, will you live stream? I'm like, no, that's not the point. The point is a bunch of bodies. So. My uh, recording boot camp, recordingbootcamp.com, right. uh, 
Which is, you own the trademark for that, right? I do, absolutely do. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll tell you something later. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, but the big, so I I usually do one, like a six-day intensive, usually one these days, about one in California every year and one in Europe, which is usually in North Italy. Every year, but and he brings me back a jar of olives from Italy. <laughs> yeah, that's Wait. why you're excited about the recording boot camp stuff. Yeah, <laughs> no, seriously, the olives <laughs> were so good. Awesome. They, they're not vinegary and salty like American olives. Oh. They taste like <laughs> olivey tasting, floating in really good olive oil. It's like every olive is delightful. Nice. Anyway, yeah. But some things, taxi folks, especially if you're on the East Coast. Um, in May, I'm doing two retreats in West Virginia. Uh, at this beautiful old resort, just like 90 minutes from Washington Dulles Airport. Wow. And two hours from downtown D.C. But we're doing the mountain songwriting retreat, uh, which I put, uh, I put on with Dave Nachmanoff, who great singer songwriter who I met at the Taxi Road Rally. Okay, I knew, years I knew years that years ago. Um, but he's he's been touring and collaborating with Al Stewart for a lot of years, so that's wow. a lot of people know him. Uh, and also Michelle Schacht yeah. is uh, one of my main instructors for it this year. So that's like a four day retreat, all kind of all inclusive. Uh, out in the mountains, hanging out, writing, co-writing, collaborating, and, and workshops. And where can they learn about that from RonanMurphy.com? So if, if you go to Ron- RonanChrisMurphy.com. Yeah, RonanChrisMurphy.com. i got to make sure that's I've updated that one in a while. But uh, MountainRecordingRetreat.com. Okay. Oh, sorry, uh, Mountain Songwriting Retreat. <laughs> it's in the, it's oh, she put it Okay, in. good. Yeah, and, th- and the next one we do, um, uh, we're doing the, the Mountain Recording Retreat, which yeah. is RecordingRetreat.com. Same place? Same place. And again, five days, great food out in the mountains, lots of workshops. And, and it's a really great thing because uh, it, it'll never be what the r- rally is. But it has that thing where we, well, we it, like 80 to 90 percent of the people who come, come again every year. Just, yeah. It's turned out to be this really cool thing. And it's way, 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 way smaller scale. But I always recommend that people go to the Hawaii Songwriters yeah. uh, thing because it's got the vibe of the rally and, and it's small. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not above recommending other conferences. <laughs> but uh, and for taxi folks, uh, I talked Fett into coming out. Oh, really? Yeah. So Fett's going to come out and teach some workshops and stuff for me. Wow, the two of you guys on the same stage. <laughs> and uh, every yeah. year I think about this. I would love to get you, Fett, and Shirelli. Oh yeah. Uh, just doing nothing but Q and A with the audience. And that'd be awesome because we'll disagree on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think those both guys are great too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun because we'll disagree on a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are cool things. And also, if you guys want to hit me up, um, like check those out, write to me. Um, for, for taxi folks, I can do discounts and stuff like that. So okay. if, if you see any of those, the recordingretreat.com or mountainsongwritingretreat.com. What's the thing that you do out by your house? Uh, oh, we also do, um, we do a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but we do something um, called the PMC Songwriting Festival, okay. which is uh, pmcsongfest.com. <laughs> Um, and and that's a that's like a weekend kind of celebration of songwriting, where it's um, you know kind of workshops and things like that during the day, big concert at, at night, um, and that's a and that's a really cool thing. It's a much bigger scale, but it's great. We had Michelle shocked for that one too, but also uh, Shelly Pikin. Oh yeah, know, who yeah wrote no, tons sure. of great stuff. Uh, she came out. She's a bitch. <laughs> and wrote, a liar she wrote the song, yeah. bitch. for Meredith Brooks. Yes, she's a wonderful woman, but apparently, according to her, she's a bitch. She's a liar. She's right. something or another. Um, and and that's a really cool thing. And um, but yeah, check that one out. That's going to be in September. Um, and we do that like every penny um, we raise from that goes to charity. We 
kind of do it to support kind of seniors, uh, basically senior services and support up in uh, up in this in a rural area okay. up north north of L.A. It's but, called the Spawn Ranch, right? What? No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Exactly. That's what but, Charles Manson. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Pine Mountain Club is the name of the, the town. I think Liz actually sent me an email. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I saw, you know, like the little preview thing, and I yeah. went, "Oh yeah, I got to get back to her," and then saved it, yeah. <laughs> and never did get back to her. I ran into her at the rally. Went, oh yeah. crap! I'm sorry. Yeah, anyway. but, but but Pine Mountain Club's this amazing place. Um, I, I live there. It's north of LA now, but um, it's I can be in like Burbank in about 75 minutes. But two times in the last two weeks, we've had more than a foot of snow. And we have bears and bobcats. It's a whole nother world. But the killer thing is this beautiful kind of small mountain town. And I thought, okay, I'm going into this little small mountain town. I'll be like the big deal producer guy. Not even close. You know, I've got, you know, buddy up, buddy of mine up there, you know, produced for a little artist like David Bowie and, you know, Faith Hill, like covered his songs and stuff. And another buddy, buddy of mine up there did a little record called Surrealistic Pillow for the Jefferson Airplane and Feliz Navidad for Jose Feliciano and things oh, like that. Yeah, I remember um, Rick Gerard yeah. did that. Yeah. And so he lives up there. And so it's it's this really it's turned out to be we've got playwrights up there and songwriters and musicians. It's turned out it's this kind of amazing not hidden anymore because I've talked about it on Taxi TV. <laughs> but it's this amazing kind of small, beautiful community up in the mountains with just tons of like killer creative energy. Is it have like a big bear vibe or is it different? Smaller, yeah. Even yeah, smaller. Yeah, wow. Yeah, way way smaller and chill than Big Bear. Wow. Yeah. And Big Bear is fairly small and fairly chill. So yeah. It's and it, yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing. So when we do these things, like most of the talent I'm pulling in, uh, like for to do workshops and stuff, tons of that's um, coming from, um, uh, you know, just local locals. Another buddy of mine who kind of will come in and do stuff, you know, has written, you know, wrote the theme song for Sister Sister and did a bunch, you know, Disney, like wrote yeah. stuff for High School Musical and things like that. And who's that? Um, uh, Kevin Quinn? Yeah. He, yeah. Kevin was a taxi member, oh. I believe, and I met him at the Hawaii Songwriters thing. Well, Kevin's amazing. Brilliant guy um, and a great golfer. Yes. He's like he, a world-class golfer. Yeah, he, we, he would rather golf than do anything. That is Probably correct. Probably even more than music, I think. <laughs> yes, that is correct. I had, I had dinner with him last night. But, oh, really? But his ama amazing thing about him is like, like he's known like for like this Disney stuff and high school musical stuff, which is like in a perfect way, sort of like just very pop and, you know, light and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But his singer-songwriter stuff is Much just, oh, good Lord. Like, because I actually had him yeah, come and... He sent me some of that stuff years ago. Yeah, I had him like met. come and perform and I thought, oh, it'd be cool to have him, the guy who did the Disney stuff. And he went, went you know, at the big concert at the festival yeah. and he just busted out some of his singer-songwriter stuff. Give him a hug and for me I, when you see him, will And he, he was like one of the big highlights of the whole festival of it. So, yeah. So, wow. But yeah, what fun place. Oh my goodness, we have one minute left? Two minutes? Oh, is that say five Four minutes. Six, if it's 5.30, oh. we're... Oh. Um, okay, let's do another question. Okay, um, Funky Freddy asks, isn't there a danger to, in conforming so much to trendy production techniques? Isn't there a danger? Funky Freddy wants to know, isn't there a danger to conforming so much to kind of modern current production stuff? Is it derivative? Does it all sound the same? Um, that's a, it's a great question. It really depends on the application. So 
Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the really, you know, my buddies who are great producers have done lots of iconic stuff. They're like, I don't care what's going on right now. I'm really interested in what's going on next year because that's when our record's going to come out. But, right. you know, but in the reality is, one is there are situations, especially in the world of taxi, where you have listing opportunities and things like that. Right. We don't only do film and TV. Yeah. But for the film and TV stuff, yeah, they need stuff very quickly and they mm -hmm. want it to sound like today yep. versus what it would sound like a year and a half from now. Yeah. yeah. But but part of it too is kind of knowing what's going on and I always say it's better, it's good to know the rules to break them. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it too is where I sort of will sort of harp on people a little bit is they'll try and do something where what they're going for is so outside the norm. And, and the weird thing about it is, you know, I, I do work. I'm a producer. You know, I'm interested in getting my stuff on the Billboard charts and mm -hmm. things like that. But also, a lot of what I listen to in my downtime is just crazy avant-garde stuff that you know, music that wrecks parties and things like that. <laughs> and you know, I love all of it. You know, it's funny. Like Spotify is like, here's what you've been listening to. And you know, I had just crazy avant-garde EDM and Britney Spears and Icelandic folk music and Dixie Chicks and all of that stuff on there. Yeah. But um, but it's really kind of good to know. And also really studying what's going on even just gives you ideas. Because when you really study what's going on with hi-hats in this kind of music and why does it give it that vibe? It's like, well, you've just built up your own toolkit when you want to sort of sculpt and vibe something in a direction. Or That's going, the key to everything. Yeah. Is having all those arrows in your quiver because you may not use one of those yeah. arrows for five years and yeah. one day a song walks in your door and you're sitting yeah. there going... I remember hearing a hi-hat sound that yeah. I loved, and yeah. it was this type of song, and and that's the day you pull that arrow up and yeah. stick it and in the Yeah, and even, like, again, like, with trap music, hi, that, what's going on with hi-hats and trap music, which a lot of people were asking me about at the rally, which is why I maybe mentioned it a bunch. You know, the particular kinds of hi-hat patterns are such a huge part of it. It's really good to know what's going on, and that could be, like, Oh, that's why I hate that music, mm. which is just as valid as much as why I love that view. Oh, that's why it feels kind of stilted or something. Like, oh, I really want to make sure I do that. Or if I'm work, working with a collaborator. Every going, time I think they've run out of ways to, like, you know, sweep a filter on a hi-hat or <laughs> sweep a filter and pan it. Yeah. You know, all the different combinations of things that they do to hi-hats and trap. Then I hear something and go, well, there's a guy who came up with yet another great idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whether I like it personally or not, I'm still yeah. impressed that they came up with the idea. All right. Uh, whoa, we're at 530. <laughs> One more quickie. All right. Um, compression before or after EQ? Mm, excellent. Um, compression try, before or after EQ? Uh, <laughs> try them both. My general approach, which I will break the rule, is generally I will, if I'm doing EQ cuts, I'll do those before compression because mm. I don't want a bunch of low end. If I'm not going to keep a bunch of low end in a track, right. I don't want it really affecting my compressor. And usually boosting, um, usually boosting will happen after the compression. That's kind of my general workflow. But try it. I mean, but like Chris and Tom Lord Algae, two crazy successful guys, uh, they are really into compression. Uh, boosting their EQs before the compressor. That's a big part of their sound of like everything on 11 all the time sound is from aggressive boosting and then really aggressing, aggressive compression. But as a general rule, again, how I work, I will generally cut things before compression uh, and then my, and then boosting after to kind of sculpt the sound after that. 
Um, last question. This one's for me. How do you like the LA3A or LA3? Um, I've always liked to have more experience with LA2s. Shirelli uh, and I, I didn't realize this till I don't know, six months ago. Optical compressors. I, I was at Rob's. I, I've had control rooms that were loaded with both. And uh -huh. I love the LA2s, tubes. Yep. It sounds great. Yep. Uh, everybody knows it. Uh, to get a real one costs a lot of money. Um, there are even some good knockoffs that aren't cheap. Um, but the LA3, I had some of those in my control room in Florida. They're a little bit more aggressive, which can I, be great to get a vocal. I just used them on everything. Yeah. I mean, they were yeah. my go-to, yeah. and they sounded so good. And I mentioned to Rob, and he goes, oh, it's my favorite. I wish I could get an SSL to have one on every channel. Yeah. <laughs> and I was astonished because people used to laugh at me for using them. I loved it. But well, we can throw this out as a last tip. Um, yeah. Compression is this thing that, you know, I still feel like, you know, decades into this, ah, I've almost got it. I almost have it figured <laughs> out. Um, but also compression is really one of the things that separates a lot of, you know, productions that come off feeling somewhat amateur right. and things that somewhat pro. But he was talking about an LA-3, yeah. and there's also the LA-2 or the LA-2A. Um, lots of companies have done different knockoffs knock of that. Oh, oh, and in the box, too. Yeah, um, in the, uh, I mean in the box. Oh, okay. Yeah. And... Um, but the cool thing about that is you pretty much have a knob that's like, how much compression do you want to do? Yeah. Do you want to turn it up or turn it down when you're done? And the amazing thing is they sound so good on so many sources. So yeah. you know, compression can be intimidating for somebody just getting into this and they might not do it, which which is unfortunate. But these, they're called uh, opto or electro-optical style compressors, which are your LA-2As um, uh, or LA-3s and a few others. Yeah. Um, 1176 which is not an opto oh it's not no no that's a that's a fet sorry oh <laughs> sorry i didn't not mean that, that yeah. not not that fet with two <laughs> yeah <chips>. exactly <laughs> but field effect transistor <laughs> yeah i remember that much. yes you're kidding um, i don't think i ever knew that yeah so wow it, yeah it's basically a little optical sensor i, I was never a fan in. of 1170 i would use them if me, me neither that would be my but, like third choice you know yeah. if, if i had a two and a three and an 1176 yeah. room. I would use the 1176 last. Yeah, I didn't love it. But if you find find a plug-in, you know, not everybody can afford all the hardware, but find right. some plugins uh, that do opto stuff. The ones I use are Brainworks has one called the BX Optos. One I probably use more than the others, but they're great because it allow you to really experiment and do aggressive stuff and right. things like that with really more or less two knobs. Like how much do you want to do? And how do much you do want you to turn want to recuperate up? your gain? Yeah, you exactly. Bring level back and so, and, and you want to spend the rest of your engineering life mastering compression and go beyond what those can do. Yep. But as a, you know, as a great gateway drug, um, opto <laughs> compressors are just fantastic. Great on lead vocals, great on guitars, great on basses. Yeah, you know, cool for room mics on drums and things like that. So yeah, if you're just getting into it, great get, on acoustics. Yeah, and and don't use presets. Presets on opto compressors. Uh, sorry, I could go off for ten minutes on how goofy just, the idea of a preset it's on like opto learning compressors. EQ. Just sit yeah. down and try yes. it on every instrument, and you know, it's got a less and more knob basically <laughs> and a volume knob, and just turn it and try it on different things um and once you get a grip on that then start understanding attack and release because that's a whole other story <laughs> yeah don't even want to go there um thank you always great yeah to see awesome you, i love I, doing this I, I love having you on the show i could do another hour <laughs> and a half with you and thank you you guys i didn't spend much time talking to you today but 
It was good to hang out with you. Yeah, I didn't um, do as many questions as we like, but I just no. ran my trap too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your 808 trap. Um, <laughs> and frankly, I think I had something on deck for next week, but I can't remember what the heck it is. Oh, next mm. week is Musician's Gift Guide for the holidays, so yeah. bring your pad and pencil. And I want you guys, actually, I want to hear what you guys like. So go into the comments section below this video, the one we're working on right now, and drop some comments in there about what your favorite piece of gear is, and then we'll research it and get a link, and we're going to provide that stuff in the next week's show because we're getting in the holiday spirit. Swirly gig drink holders. Swirly gig drink holders? Yes. They're uh they're drink holders that mount on a mic stand. They're Ooh. awesome. And they're like ten bucks. They're like the best Swirly. musician gift. Gotta remember that. <laughs> he is probably checking out right now. With that, <laughs> we bid you adieu. A fond Bye everybody, thanks so much. And a bye bye. See you next week. Don't forget, post your comments down below.